Well, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, be with us. Work through each of us. Guide us. Help me to explain this topic well. Help all of us to ask the questions that are most helpful. Help us to have a good discussion. Help all to go well. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So, last time we talked about divine adoption. Uh, and let Jesus realize his life in you. And I should have mentioned that I stole that quote from Mother Teresa. Um, so, wonderful little line that she had. And then, riffing off of that, this time it's a prayer, colon, uh, let Jesus inspire you. So, today, as part of the school of prayer, we're going to have a little primer, primer uh, on prayer um, but we're going to have it in a not-so-practical way at the start. We're going to kind of come at it by way of a little bit of theology and then the practical aspects at the end. So picture yourself real quick with the sheep with Moses as he's looking across the field at a burning bush. And you slowly approach the burning bush and you're intrigued by this bush that is uh, on fire and not consumed by the fire, and you don't quite know what's going on. And soon you get this voice, which instructs you to take off your shoes because you are on holy ground. And you have this encounter with a God who is new to you, <laughs> you've heard of, but who is new to you, and who is very just, uh, you know, surprising. Now at the end of that encounter, uh, Moses does something that's very natural. He looks away. Um, and, and that's the first little point to, to raise about these kind of encounters with God, that we do have this natural awe for God, um, this reverence of this, this majesty that's beyond us, that can cause us to react, you know, with a little bit of um, humility, you could say. Uh, but in every kind of real encounter with God, they say there is this moment where you've got this kind of true holy fear because of being in the presence of this majesty. And then the real, the real um, sign of a true encounter with God is that at the end you have the con cons consoling aspects of it uh, and you come away peaceful. So we first have Moses, which puts us into this kind of raw state of prayer, of, of encountering God, so that we can kind of come at the question from that point of view. Um, and that raises this notion of like, well, what is it to pray, and why do we pray? And so long, for, for millennia, people have seemingly had this desire to praise God, to reverence Him. I mean, once they erected altars and put, you know, lambs and, and holocausts of lambs on top of them, but we've always had this notion of praising God. Now we fast forward a little bit, and we have Jesus. And we have some interesting things to pick up here. First is that he drew aside to prayer. You know, he drew away to be with God and to pray. Now the theology is going to say that he 
always beholds the face of the Father in, in so many words, that he's always in the beatific vision. And, and so he has a special awareness of God at all times as part of his human nature. You know, we always hold that he has a human and a divine nature together. But that human nature was aware of God at all times. And he drew, aside, he drew away and prayed. And found that very important for his ministry, very important for his interaction with other people. And in a sense, gave us and his disciples a very clear indication that we should do so too. And if we take seriously the hymn in Philippians... Uh, that he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. You know, we see, in a sense, Jesus coming very respectfully and humbly to the Father as well as part of his human nature, honoring that aspect of his human nature that appears before the Father. And so we have yet another little aspect of humility in our prayer. St. Benedict says that when you want to ask something of a powerful person, you are very careful to do so with all due reverence and respect. And how much more should we not do that if we are asking great things of the Almighty? And especially how much more should we pay attention to asking with some respect if we're asking for great things like union with God? from the Almighty, these wonderful, amazing gifts. As we said last time, we do so because we think He is offering them already. He wants us to desire them, and He invites us to do that. And so we're merely responding to His invitation. Now to set this context a little bit more, I want to turn to a mystic just for a second. Um, not because we're overly valuing mysticism, but because, again, her experience, this is Blessed Angelo Foligno, um, I'm on page 53 if you want to read the quote with me, um, her experience is going to show us another aspect of this kind of coming before God, this experiencing God at a deep level, uh, which is instructive even when we come before God in much more um, veiled ways in our own little prayer from time to time. So this is her account. And immediately the eyes of my soul were opened, and I beheld the plenitude of God, whereby I did comprehend the whole world, both here and beyond the sea, and the abyss and all things else. And therein did I behold not save the divine power in a manner assuredly indescribable, so that through excess of marveling the soul cried with a loud voice, saying, The whole world is full of God. Wherefore did I now comprehend that the world is but a small thing? I saw, moreover, that the power of God was above all things, and that the whole world was filled with it. Then he said to me, I have shown you something of my power, the which I did so well understand that it enabled me better to understand all other things. He said also, I have made you to see something of my power, but behold now and see my humility. Then I was given so deep an insight into the humility of God towards man and all other things, that when my soul remembered his unspeakable power 
and comprehended his deep humility, it marveled greatly and did esteem itself to be nothing at all, for in itself it beheld nothing save pride. That's the account of Blessed Angela of Foligno. She highlights this other aspect of our encounters with God, which is that we, weak creatures, can also not just feel, say, small uh, in contrast to God's majesty, but we can feel a bit weak, a bit, a bit sinful in contrast to God's perfect holiness. And even this, this mystic says that this is an aspect of what you're going to encounter if you encounter the living God. You know, there's a real reason that Catholics feel fear this book. It's because it has transformative power and because it does speak words to us that can sometimes convict us of our need to grow. And that's why it has so much power. Now, you may say to me, Father Cashin, this is not this wonderful uh, experience of prayer yet. You've said I'm going to feel small and maybe sometimes I'm going to feel sinful and this doesn't seem like I'm getting much out of it. I guess I wanted to first address some of the fears. Because like some of us just fear taking that time uh, in silence, right? Sometimes too much bubbles up in that silence to actually take the time to encounter God there. Um, and also, I wanted to raise the fears so that we could actually talk about how to get past them. Uh, so the first aspect of kind of our practical side is an old tradition, uh, which Marmion has a new take on, and it's called the practice of the presence of God. Those of you who have read the classic by that title, by uh, Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection, know it's only about 40 pages long, a very easy read. He was a cook in Paris. And uh, the greatest theologians of his time came to talk to him about prayer because he actually prayed uh, in a very simple and easy way, whereas they were kind of lost in their intellects. That's my perhaps overly simplistic explanation of it. Brother Lawrence said essentially while he cooked in the kitchen, he just paid attention to the fact that God was already there with him. I mean, it, was, it really is not that difficult of a practice in, in, in that sense. He said he merely started to just pay attention to the fact that, you know, even though, you know, you can't see God like in a, or, or his effects like in a burning bush, that God's there with him. And that was enough to just, you know, do the dishes with God. To just do the, make the soup, cut the onions up, you know, with God present. And that it ennobled that activity and brought a new character to that activity. And, and how beautiful that is. And how beautiful it is to also just take time to do that in our other moments of prayer. When we're actually setting aside time to sit with God and be in prayer. Um that practice of the presence of God is such a beautiful thing to do. 
And in, in almost any prayer setting, again, we're talking about private prayer for a moment, um, you have this like airlock moment, to use Jacques Philippe's term, take five minutes to just let the day go away and give to God whatever's still bothering you about the day or yesterday and uh, just be there with God in his presence. So, looking to Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection on that topic is a wonderful thing to do. Marmion, I think, adds to the practice something that's very beautiful. And his phrase is a little strange. He says, in sinu patris, in the bosom of the Father. And he says that, as I introduced last time, he believes that we enter into Christ's mysteries, live them again. And for him, the fundamental mystery was that Christ always beheld the Father. That is actually the more fundamental mystery that he says that he entered into during his ministry, even at, in the crash, uh, and eventually on the cross. And so, taking the practice of the presence of God as this way of re-experiencing in our own limited fashion what Christ experienced or more specifically, where Christ drew his strength will be of profit to us at all times during the day, and especially in our times of prayer. But then he takes one further step forward, which is he reminds us that we have put on Christ, as St. Paul says. And so when we're appearing before the Father, it's, it's with Christ along with us. It's with him supplying for our, our deficiencies. And it's with him um, being there as our advocate on behalf of us. And there's a great confidence in God we can have when we go with Jesus. This is part of the, the fact that Moses didn't get to have that little part of the equation, right? And now that we live after Jesus, we get to go with him to the Father. And that does really transform the experience of going to the Father. It's no longer I have to win God, right? It's no longer I have to be perfect so as to have a good prayer life or whatever. It's I can come in all my frailty and all my needs and all my weakness and with Christ just ask the Father to be a father to me. You know, just say, be a father to me in this stressful situation that's going on. So, uh, the other aspect is that this being in the bosom of the Father, Marmion says, is, um, is like a protected space. And I'm going to draw upon a quote here. Uh, this is very similar to how other authors will talk about um, hiding in the sacred heart. Uh, you know, this is, these are both very kind of mystical terms, you could say. Um, but I think, nonetheless, there is something to the practice that is very, very helpful. Um, here's Marmion on page 120 of the book of The Grace of Nothingness. Our souls ought to be full of great confidence. In our relations with our Heavenly Father, we ought to remember that we are His children. Though being partakers of the filiation of Christ Jesus, our elder brother, 
To doubt of our adoption of the rights it gives us is to doubt Christ himself. Let us never forget we put on Christ on the day of our baptism. You have put on Christ, or rather, you have been incorporated with him. We have, therefore, the right to come before the Eternal Father and say to him, I am your firstborn son, to speak in the name of his son, to ask him with absolute confidence for all we need. And the confidence, I want to just take a moment to really highlight the depths of that confidence. Um, Blessed Columba is, is in this line. Uh, St. Pio of Pietrocina, Padre Pio, is very much in this line as well. To realize that we're favorites. And St. Teresa of Avila even says, you won't go anywhere in prayer until you realize that you're a favorite of God. Um, it's in two ways we can look at that, just real quick to explain it. When we say that um, one person is more meritorious to the other because the person's actually done some really great things in, in, in his or her life, that's, that's real. And on that level, Jesus is the favorite. There's just no comparison, and that's pretty simple to see. Um, but if we see ourselves as incorporated into his prerogatives, into his gifts, we can claim some of that with him. Another way of looking at it, though, uh, and these both come from Thomas Aquinas, is like the sun shining down on each of us. God's love shines down on each person like the rays of the sun and, and, and hits that person uniquely. And in that unique relationship, there is an exclusivity of favoritism. And of course, that happens billions of times over, but uh, we could still take courage in that unique glance of the Father towards us. Um, so those are two different ways to think about it. And I think both can give you confidence in your prayer or in your darker moments of prayer um, that God wants you to draw close to his presence. He wants you to become very close to him. Uh, and as we do, there will be purifying moments. Uh, but his grace fundamentally heals, transforms, and perfects. So his grace is only ordered towards our full flourishing. I can't remember if I said it last time, but I'll repeat it. It's worth it. Um, this wonderful phrase, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3b, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Oh, I must have said that was like the practical takeaway of the divine plan last time. Um, but if he's willing it, he's working on it, replanning it as many times as necessary, and all he really cares about is your flourishing. And so with Jesus, we dare to say, our Father, and draw close to him. And if he does correct us, it's in a fatherly way. It's in a way that's able to be accepted as for our own profit, our own growth. So, in Sinu Patris, in the bosom of the Father, uh, which is a quote of John, the Gospel of John, um, 
is kind of Marmion's way of really highlighting that fatherly care. The, it's like in that embrace of the father, of say the, the embrace of the father in that wonderful parable of the good father, of the parable of the prodigal son. In that embrace, in that bosom of the father, there's just nothing at that moment that matters other than you. Right? That's a safe space no matter what. And it's in that safe space that he takes refuge during, say, the darker moments of, of drawing into silence. Or when we you know, struggle to come to see ourselves or whatever we need healing for. Um, there's a safe space there. And like I said, other saints express this also by taking refuge in the Sacred Heart. There are other ways that people re-express the same idea. Um, but I think Marmion specifically puts it into this practice of the presence of God. Like, let's seek that moment, like that embrace of the Father, uh, as in the parable of the Good Father. So, that's uh, a general principle of the practice of the presence of God of reliving Christ's uh, fundamental state of always being in the Father's presence, of trying to keep that in, in anything we do throughout the day. Um, but then I want to talk very practically just about Lexio Divina, just to give you a practical takeaway if, you know, you're getting started. And uh, Lexio Divina is a prayerful reading of the Bible. And it's not Bible study. It's not an academic work. It's not an intellectual work. Uh, if you were a bunch of priests, I would remind you five times, it's not homily prep. You know, like, it's not what you're trying to allow the Holy Spirit to, to teach you to say to someone else. But just as a preacher, a priest can say, come Holy Spirit, show me what you want to say to the community, and hopefully some good inspiration comes, um, so, too, we can come to the text privately and say, Come, Holy Spirit, just speak to me what I need to hear in this text right now. You know, here's the Word of God. It's got power to speak to me, but also come, Holy Spirit, and, and interpret it through me. Just this past Sunday, we had a beautiful um, example of Jesus doing just this. You know, the devil's tempting him in the desert. And Jesus takes a line of scripture that has really no application at that current moment and says, but it is by the word of God that we, um, oh, I'm, I'm goofing on my, um, it's only but it's not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father that we can live. Um, and he's reinterpreting that text in a new moment. He's showing that that text has power at a whole different time, in a whole different way. And that's what we kind of are open to when we come to Lexio Divina. Not only could we read the true, literal sense of a text um, and get much profit and interpretation from the Holy Spirit about it, but we're open to these other layers. Um, another layer is called like the moral layer. Like, what could this text actually just prompt in my heart. You know, you'll hear people say, like, God put it on my heart, or um, that's not necessarily hearing God say something. Um, but it is, like, maybe as I'm going through this text, the word brother jumps out of me, 
And really, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I, I really haven't called my brother in a long time. Like, wow. Like, I really have some work with my relationship with my brother to do. Um, and, and, that, and that's just this, we call it the moral sense of Scripture, that it can speak to your life here and now. The Holy Spirit can use it as a vehicle to do this here and now. There are two other forms. Um, they're both a little bit more elevated. Um, one is that the, the text can speak to us of um, the current times in the church. So, for example, uh, this is most especially for the Old Testament. So the manna in the desert can be a sign, a symbol of the Eucharist, right? And as that's helping the people of God get to the Holy Land, so too you can, you know, reopen up, of, oh, that speaks to me of how I interact with the Eucharist here below. Uh, we often have those senses of Scripture as the first readings on Sunday. They choose them on purpose to, to echo or to somehow relate to the, to the gospel today. Very frequently that's intentional in the liturgy. Uh, the final way of, of kind of encountering the, the text is um, speaking to us of heaven. So again, a very basic and easy one is the crossing of the Red Sea um, is, is also, uh, often a, a type, uh, we say typology, a type of baptism and then entering the Holy Land as an example of, of entering heaven and all of its wonderful aspects. Um, but that just allows you a sense of the types of things you can be praying about when you come to listen to the Bible. When you enter into Lectio Divina, again, you take that little airlock moment to just five minutes to let the, the day settle down. Uh, with the kids, I do this with quiet music because it helps the kids not to think about something else, that they can focus on the quiet music for a little bit, and then finally they're ready to pray. Um, and then you just read a small text. And, and at the start, you may even just journal on it. And I found myself that if I'm journaling, sometimes within two or three lines, I'm really surprised by what I'm writing. You know, I've kind of got this notion of, oh, wow, the Holy Spirit actually did kind of come and help. Uh, and and it's, it's get, it becomes more richer than I ever thought it could be. But that sometimes doesn't happen right away, so you read the text again a second time, a third time. I had the friend once say, oh, Father Cashin, I, I didn't follow the method because, you know, I just started praying. Well, okay. I mean, the whole point is to pray, right? You know, the method's just there to serve the prayer. Uh, the method's really there if the prayer isn't happening. Um, and then, of course, you know, a basic category is that when we do the meditation, and there are so many ways, you can do the Jesuit style of imagining yourself in the, in the scene. Uh, you could do a more intellectual way of reflecting on, on the, the attributes, say, of Jesus and applying it to your own life. There are different ways to do it. Um, but the meditation itself is kind of like painting the painting. And then, uh, you know, a classic definition of contemplation is when you're done painting the painting, just stepping back and looking at it is kind of the contemplation or like the first like st stages of just sit there with God. It's okay. Like I I'm so surprised by how many kids say they couldn't possibly do that 
their parents would be angry with them if they just sat five minutes with God. You know, like, they have to be active or they're worthless. You know, like, it's okay to just sit with God for five minutes. You know, you don't even have to be doing the technique. Um, I tell people all the time, just go have a coffee with God on the back deck. You know, like, it's fundamentally about conversation with God. And the whole point of Lexia Divina in that conversation is to let God speak. Uh, we're, we're really great at telling God what he needs <laughs> to do in our lives, talking at him. Uh, the Lexio is just a way of letting him speak to our hearts. And then hopefully starting a conversation and a response. I hope that at least gives a few practical um, points of view about prayer, uh, practical points of view about the practice of the presence of God, about Lexio Divina, about some of the struggles of sometimes feeling small, sometimes feeling convicted of sin, how to take confidence in those struggles, persevere. There will be peak days, there will be low days, there will be you know, peaks and valleys. Um, just persevering, giving God the time is more important probably than even what the experience is. So, we've done divine adoption. Now we've done prayer. Now the next four sessions are on conversion, let Jesus direct you. And again, I said last time, that's not so much about like actually getting into any content as much as it is about talking about growth over time. And there are different stages of growth that the saints more or less coalesce on. There are di different attributes of those stages, different conversions before each one. But your prayer is going to change. And if you're at one of those transition points and you've had some dryness for a long time because you keep going back to the same well, and God's called you to a new well, it's, it's worth knowing that <laughs> and what to do when that happens.